Christ Jesus' life. And those are depicted on the board. Today we will venture into period number seven. So what we will find is that in this last lesson, we will cover then events. We said there was 140, 154 events that we were going to cover. We will cover events 140 through 154, which took place during the seventh period of Jesus' life. And so we are going to conclude today with his resurrection, with his appearances, with his ascension. Now, in the previous lesson, uh, two weeks ago, we saw that the Jewish leaders had gone to the Roman authorities to, to have a guard posted at Jesus' tomb. And uh, the mindset was that it was to prevent someone from stealing his body and claiming that he had been resurrected. We also learned that there were some females who were his disciples as well, who intended to return to his grave on that Sunday morning after the Sabbath in order to properly prepare his body for uh, final rest. So as we get ready to venture into today's lesson, would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, how blessed we are that in this time in, our, in, in history, in 2023 here in America, we have this opportunity to worship you. We have an opportunity to worship you through our Savior Christ Jesus, that we have the Holy Spirit with us each and every day to guide us and direct us. And Father, we pray that each and every day, Father, we be mindful of this, we be thankful of this, and we take the opportunity to worship you, to serve you, to honor you and glorify you. Father, we pray that as we've gone through these 13 lessons, Father, the 13th being tonight, today, that we will glean something from it, Father, to help us in our walk of faith, to help us not only understand what it is we're doing and why we're doing it, Father, but also help us to help others see the need to uh, transition from a lost state to a saved state. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for blessing us. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So, this lesson is going to cover the final 40 days, if you will, right? Now, during this final 40 days, there are three main events that, go- that are going to take place. One is going to be the resurrection, one is going to be appearances, and the other is going to be Christ Jesus' ascension. And these are all described by several of the gospel writers. So, today we venture into event number 140, which is the resurrection itself. So only Matthew describes what actually took place before the women arrived at the tomb that morning. They found it, when they arrived, they found it open, they found it empty. But Matthew also says this, he says that there was a a severe earthquake He said that this coincided with the descent of an angel. He says that the angel rolled the stone away and sat up on it. He says that the soldiers who were guarding it fainted. He also described the angels. He said their appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white. Now, we're not told how Christ Jesus left the tomb. We are not told if he said anything at all. But what we are told is this right here, 
we are told of the angel's appearance. We are told of the guards' reaction in that the guards fainted. They did not see, and we are not told that they actually saw Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because Christ Jesus showed himself only to believers after his resurrection. Hey, Jerry, it's worth it. <laughs> Event 144. Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, who was Jesus' aunt, and Johanna and other women come to the tomb to finish the burial process. But again, what do they find? They find it open. They find it empty. Now, something happened right here. We are told that Mary Magdalene, well, well, okay, first of all, the soldiers had already left, and they've gone back to the officials, right? But we are told that Mary Magdalene, when she saw this, that the grave was open, that it was empty, that the tomb was empty and, and open, that she immediately returns to the apostles, immediately, leaving the other women alone at the graveside. Now, what did she go back to tell them? What did she go back to tell him? The grave was open. It's empty. But because there was some doubt floating around, we don't know if she went back and said, Christ Jesus is resurrected, or she went back and said, somebody has taken a body. It just says she immediately left. Event 142. The women who stayed, we find that the angel speaks with them. The women who remain... They see two angels and also become afraid. But the angels invite the women to come into the tomb to inspect it. And then the angels tell them to go and tell Christ Jesus' disciples what has taken place. And that what has taken place is, was all according to scripture, just as promised. They also tell the women that Jesus has gone to Galilee again in the north and that he will meet there with his disciples. Now, these women, they also leave. They leave with the intention of telling the disciples and the apostles that the Lord has risen from the dead. Event 143. Peter and John arrive at the tomb. Now, at this particular time, the other women who had left behind when Mary Magdalene left, they have already, they've left the scene also. But we, what we don't know is whether or not when Peter and John were running over and they were running back, did they see each other or not? We don't know. But we do know, it, know this. They arrived, Peter and John arrived at the temple. The latest were gone. They have been told of, the, of something that has taken place, either the resurrection or Christ Jesus has been stolen. But for sure, the body wasn't there. Mary Magdalene has told them this. Now, while the others were skeptical, Peter and John raced to the scene ahead of Mary Magdalene. She's, she's trailing behind them. We know that John arrives first. He arrives first, but he doesn't go inside. He waits. He waits for Peter. And once inside, they see the, the linen wrappings that, that, that was on the ground that, was, uh, that Christ Jesus had been wrapped in. They see the towel that was used to cover his face. It was rolled up and placed in the corner. And John says that once they saw the empty tomb, notice this, once they saw the empty tomb, they then believed. They then understood what Jesus had been telling them concerning his resurrection. 
So that was event, main event number one. Main event number two, a series of appearances. Now, these are very hard to put in order because of the small time frame that took place and the little back between them and the little background that was given. Now, remember, these things were happening over a period of about 40 days. So uh, event number 144, we have the first appearance recorded, and that was to Mary Magdalene. So after Peter and John had seen the empty tomb and, and left, Mary finally arrives. Mary Magdalene arrives once again to the tomb. And the Bible says that she sees two angels in the tomb who ask her a tough question. Why are you weeping? When she goes outside, she sees Jesus, but at this time she's thinking he's a gardener. He's the gardener. And so what she do is she go over and ask him, where have you taken the body? So right there, you can see her mindset hasn't yet wrapped around the resurrection because she has to be in all the question. Where have you taken the body? And when Jesus speaks, she recognizes him and she tries to cling to him. But Christ Jesus forbid her from doing that. But he sends her to tell the apostles of his resurrection and of his imminent Ascension. Event 145. His appearance to the other women. Now the other women who had seen the angels and now they were en route to the city. They were now visited by the resurrected Christ while they were on their way. Matthew reports that the women took hold of him, took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And he told them what the angels had said as well, to go tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. Event 146. Now, while all of this is going on with Christ Jesus' disciples, Matthew reports that the guards who had fainted uh, at the appearance of the angels have gone to their superiors to, to tell them what had happened. We also find out that, that they, um, they were going to be in a little bit of trouble because they were supposed to be guarding the tomb. And now you're telling, telling your, your bosses that you were guarding it, but the body is gone. So the Jewish leaders arranged to pay them a bribe to claim that they fell asleep and then Christ Jesus' disciples came and stole the body away. And they also promised, because these guards were not crazy, they also needed a promise that you're going to vouch for us should this get the pilot. You're going to vouch for us. And they agreed to do that. So Matthew claimed that this was the official story that was given out at the time when he wrote the gospel some 30 to 40 years earlier. So that shows that Matthew was written around 60 or 70 A.D. Event 147, the third appearance. Now, the interesting thing about this third appearance is this right here. Peter doesn't mention this appearance at all in anything that Peter wrote. One of the men who uh, Christ Jesus has seen on the road to Emmaus actually recounts that the Lord told them that he had met with Peter. And Paul confirms this fact in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 15 with a similar reference. But Peter himself, for whatever reason, God did not inspire him to put that in anything that he wrote. 
Event 148, Appearance 4. This was to the dis- the, with the two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. Now, the thing about Emmaus is this right here. We don't know where it is anymore. It's not there anymore. What we know is that at the time, it was like five to seven miles away from Jerusalem. But it's not there anymore, so we can't say exactly where it was. But the two disciples were on their way home after being witnesses of what had taken place, of what had happened to Christ Jesus in Jerusalem. They had been witness to to his, his crucifixion. So while discussing this, Jesus comes along and he begins to travel with them and he's sharing in their conversation. He's paying attention to what they're saying. They are prevented, we're told, from recognizing him as he questions them regarding their discussion. They tell him that they were hoping, that they were hoping that Jesus would have been the Messiah. But then at the same time, they're saying, now that he has been tortured, now that he has been killed... I don't know anymore. I don't know anymore. Like most Jews, these individuals had hoped that the Messiah would be a glorious figure, a glorious figure like King David. And we all know that King David was a warrior king. He saved them, but he saved them on the battlefield. In the Old Testament, in particular in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12, there the Old Testament presents the Messiah as a figure of suffering, as a figure of, of servanthood. And many Jews saw this as a personification of themselves. You know, God is talking there in, 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 in Isaiah chapter 53, and they're saying, he's talking about us. He's talking about us. And, you know, I'm told that even to this day, there are some who believe that. But Jesus comes to these two disciples, and he explains to them, the Messiah would have two profiles. We have a lot of learned people in here this morning. So with what you know, with what you know, if you were talking to me about Christ Jesus, someone who knows nothing, and I just happen to say to you, what two profiles would you assign to Christ Jesus? What would they be? What two profiles would you assign to Christ Jesus to help me understand who he is? We have a lot of learned people who thinks. <laughs> well, what two profiles would you assign to him? No takers? I'm sorry. Miraculous? Well, you, you've heard of the thing... Um, um, policemen have taken taken people on the street and pulling them over. They're saying they're racial profiling. They're saying this person, because they are black, they must be a murderer. They must be this. Okay, so how would we profile Christ Jesus? You don't have to be a murderer as in a profile. You could be profiled in a good way. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you could be profiled in a good way. No other takers. Okay, I can s- suggest two. 
a suffering servant. It wasn't the Jews that Isaiah's model for a suffering servant in, in Isaiah 53 uh, that he was talking about. He was talking about the Messiah. He was talking about the Messiah. Jesus' suffering was not a, 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 a repudiation of his claim as a Messiah, but rather his suffering was a confirmation that he was truly fulfilling all that was written about him in the Word of God, in the Old Testament. And this right here, the fact that he was being uh, 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 profiled as a suffering servant, if you will, this was a stumbling block for the Jews. It was a stumbling block for the Jews. And Jesus explained this to those two disciples that he was talking to. But the other one is this right here. Not a warring king, but a glorious savior. Like David, who had saved the people on the battlefield, Christ Jesus in his resurrection defeats man's greatest enemy. And what is man's greatest enemy? Okay. Anybody else? Satan, you? Okay. Those are all good, but you know what man's greatest enemy is? I guess death. Death. Not physical death, spiritual death. That's our greatest enemy. I can overcome court not liking me. (laughs) I can overcome me not liking me. I cannot overcome spiritual death without Christ Jesus. We all, we're told in the word of God, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Christ Jesus suffering and died on the cross was not to prevent us from dying physically was to give us the opportunity to not die spiritually, to give us an opportunity not to spend an eternity in hell, which is physical death, a spiritual death. This was the nature of what Christ Jesus taught these two disciples along the road. So so as darkness approached, what did they do? They, being hospitable, they invited him to spend the night with them. And as they ate and Christ Jesus blessed the meal... They then recognized him, and he disappears from them immediately. And what do they do? They return to Jerusalem immediately to report this to the apostles. Event 149. Appearance number five. So, when the two disciples find the apostles... And begin telling them of their experience, what happens? Christ Jesus suddenly appears among them. At this first appearance among them, the apostles were frightened. And what does he do? He reassures them. He reassures them by showing them his hands, by showing them his feet. And then he says, I'm hungry, give me something to eat. Any food here? So after this, he teaches them the same thing that he taught the two disciples along the road. He teaches them that according to the scriptures, the Messiah had to do three things. What were the three things the Messiah had to do according to the scriptures? Be crucified. What's that? I thought I heard something else. be resurrected and what led up to the crucifixion the suffering 
So, he taught them that according to the scriptures, the Messiah had to suffer, the Messiah had to die, the Messiah had to resurrect. So what they were seeing was the fulfillment of scripture. So John tells us that at this point, Christ Jesus breathes on them and gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember these disciples that Christ Jesus had at this time? They were disciples who had come over from John. So they had received John's baptism, which means they were justified at this point. But it's at the moment that Christ Jesus breathed upon them and gave them the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not only were they justified, they were now sanctified. So for us today, how do we become both justified and sanctified? What's that? Baptism, Acts 2.38. Thank you. So after this, Jesus gives them the charge to be witnesses and preaching the gospel. But, and there's that caveat, but to wait until they receive the empowering from the Holy Spirit. Event 150, appearance number six. Now, in the previous appearances, in the previous appearance to the apostles or with the apostles, Thomas was not among them, but this time he is. Now, according to the Gospel of Mark, Mark says that Jesus rebuked them. He rebuked them for being hard-hearted and unbelieving. And some of them were. Now, interesting, he said, he's not saying all of them were like that, but there were some in the group who were for certain. But John gives a fuller description of the scene where Jesus appears with the greeting, peace be with you. And he takes special care in convincing Thomas of his person. And Thomas, after seeing his hands and his side and feet, Thomas acknowledges Jesus as Lord and God. And Jesus, and this is probably the rebuke that Mark is talking about, uh, and Jesus rebukes them, makes this comment here. He says, they have believed because they have seen. Then he says, but blessed are they who will believe without sin. I want you to keep that thought in mind. Blessed are they who believe because they have seen, and blessed are they who will believe without sin. Keep that thought in mind. I got a question for you in a minute. So John comments that these things have been recorded for the express purpose of helping those who haven't seen to believe. Event 151. Appearance number seven, the Great Commission. So Jesus sends the apostles north to Galilee, where the majority of his ministry is taking place. It is here that he gives them the charge to go into the world and make disciples. Now, let's go back to the first century. The charge that Christ Jesus gave those apostles. And we come up to 2023, and the charge that he gives us to make disciples has the process changed. So what is the process? To preach the word, to baptize, and what? What's the last part? 
Okay. Which is teach. So we preach, we baptize, we teach. We preach, we baptize, and we teach. It's perpetual. It didn't stop when the last one of them died. It kept going because basically, it, like we used to say in the military, we probably still do. It's been a long time since I was in, about 20-some years. But we had this thing we used to say. We're in the business of training our replacements. In the church, we as Christians are in the business of training our replacements, which means they only need it if Christ Jesus doesn't return. But if Christ Jesus returned, there's no longer need to teach our replacements. So let us remember that. When we talk about evangelism, we're talking about teaching our replacements. Because we're not going to live forever. If you don't believe it, how many people you know that live in the first century living today? Point proven. Let's, re- let's get back into the business of teaching or training our replacements. And, you know, we don't have to die to need that replacement in place because we do. We, I, I, was t- <laughs> I was talking to Sister Bonnie earlier, and we were talking about how we are advancing in age a little bit. We get old. Our minds aren't what they used to be. We have that thing called dementia and Alzheimer's that we, a, a brother told me one time he's forgotten more than he used to know. So we could still be alive, but we may not have that ability to do this anymore. But if we took care of business while we were young, and that is train our replacements, when we had to sit, sit down right here and enjoy it because we can't do it anymore, we get enjoyment by knowing that that brother right there, that sister right there, they're doing it. Training their replacements. So... His time for departure is drawing near, so he comforts them with the promise that he will always be with them. And that's a part of our teaching, too. Christ Jesus will be with you until the end of the age. Event 152. Appearance number eight. It was there at the Sea of Galilee. So... John gives another long description of a time when when Jesus appears to Peter and the other apostles as they were fishing. It is here that Peter is reconciled with the Lord over the fact that he denied Christ Jesus three times as Christ Jesus had said he would. So Christ Jesus asks him for his love three times. And here Jesus gives him back his apostolic ministry. And that he said this very simple thing. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now also in this text, what we have is is an explanation by John as to why some people in the first century believed that he would not die until Jesus returned. But John clarifies that. He clarifies that Jesus did not say, I will not die until he returned. What he said was Jesus merely stated that if he wanted him to remain alive until that time, it was in his power to do so and no one else's. It didn't mean that he would live until then, only that Jesus could do this if he wanted to. So John completes this account with the same kind of editorial comment that the record he kept only contained part 
of the things Christ Jesus said. That, that if he had written everything that Christ Jesus said, the world could not contain it. But let's go back to that thought. Contain, the record contained only part of the things Christ Jesus did. The record that John has given us through inspiration contains enough to do what for us? What's that? Believe, yeah. What did we read? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He gives us enough to generate faith. So when we're working with people and we're trying to teach them the gospel and they're saying, I need to know everything. I need to know everything. Why don't we just take them here to John and what did John say? You got enough right here to make a determination whether you're lost and going to be eternally separated from God and what you can do about it. You got enough right here. That's all you need. Make that decision. Now, event 153. Appearance number nine. Now, what we find here is that there are some things that are not written in the Gospels, but they are written. So, which is to say, not all of Jesus' appearances were recorded in the Gospels. Paul, we think about it, also describes some of Jesus' appearances that fit into the gospel narrative but are not included by those gospel writers. And simply for uh, sequence sake, we note that Jesus appeared to over 500 in Galilee, um, in Galilee perhaps uh, when he gave the Great Commission. He also appeared to James, his earthly brother, and Paul the Apostle, but this was much later after his ascension. We know this. We know that approximately 549 people recorded as seeing him in different situations on different days. During the night, during the day, they were young, they were old, they were men, they were women. They saw him. So those are the first two main events. We get to the last and final main event. Event number 154, the Ascension. Luke says that this took place in Bethany. As you remember, Bethany was a happy place of happy memories. He, 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 he spent a lot of time there. He, 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 he went to Lazarus' house. He ate there. He was there with his apostles. He was there with his disciples. He was there with his friends. They had a lot of great memories being there in Bethany. And it was there that they watched him ascend into heaven. And as he ascended, we are told he blessed them. Together, Mark and Luke record that the apostles felt great joy. But not only that, with this joy that the apostles were were feeling at that time, we find that with this very same joy, they returned to Jerusalem. We find that with this very same joy, they would later preach the good news, the good news that Christ Jesus suffered and died and resurrected, that it is Christ Jesus that gives us the hope that we need in order to we live this life that we're in with all this junk going on around us, all this organized chaos that's going on around us. It's organized Organized chaos because of God. And they're preaching this with joy. And I say this to anybody ever preach. 
if you can't go up there and be joyful in what you're doing, I say don't go up there. Because what we are bringing to the listeners is nothing but good news. Bill Clary used to say this a lot. He said, if you're happy about the situation you're in, being in Christ Jesus, then you ought to tell your face. You ought to tell your face because if you can't smile about it, if you can't be joyful about it, if you can't be happy about it, what's going on? Luke gives a more complete version of this event in the first chapter of Acts where he explains that, that the Lord instructed them to remain in Jerusalem to await the baptism with the Holy Spirit, that this baptism with the Holy Spirit, this, it will empower them to do miracles. It will empower them to preach, to, to boldly preach, not just to preach, but to boldly preach. And in his final words to them, he repeated the charge to be his witnesses to the world. And Luke says that two angels encouraged them to stop looking to the sky, noting that he would return someday in the very same way. We have sitting in this room individuals who have confessed Christ Jesus as their Savior, individuals who have repented of their sins, individuals who have heard and believed, individuals who have been united with Christ Jesus in the waters of baptism, individuals who are living faithful and obedient lives. Let's ask you this question. Do you understand? Do you accept? And do you believe that in the first century, in the first century, over 2,000 years ago, Christ Jesus mentioned you? And if so, how do you know that? It's a question. <laughs> Go ahead. That's it. That's it. That is it. So this is the last installment. And I want to share that thought that court just presented. We are mentioned by Jesus. Even though Jesus' words were directed mostly toward the apostles, even though it was directed mostly toward their situation, even though it was directed mostly toward the work that was ahead of them, Jesus referred to us directly in John chapter 20. When he tells Thomas and the others that their faith is based on what they have seen, but then he says, but blessed would be those whose faith would come even though they have not actually seen. Brethren, he's talking about you and he's talking about me and all the, those who will come to Christ that before we were here this day and if the world goes on, those who will come after today. And you know what? 
when we look at David, when we look at Peter, when we look at Lydia, and the list can go on and on, you know, it, 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 it's, it's easy to envy them because their names were, were actually mentioned in the Bible. It's, it's, it's easy to look at them and say, wow, man, how secure they must have felt because their names were recorded in inspired texts. Well, well, well. In his kindness, Christ Jesus made room for all of us in the phrase, blessed are they who did not see yet believed. No, he didn't say court. No, he didn't say James. No, he didn't say Hamilton. But he was talking about us. He was talking about us. You know, every time I'm speaking individually now for us. Every time I, as an individual, read that passage, I need to realize that my name, my name is included there from Jesus' own lips. And then I can take heart. I can take heart. For he will return one day and call my name in order to be with him in heaven forever. The people in the first century don't have a thing on us. Not a thing on us. You see, this is possible because even though we have not seen through his word, we have believed. We have believed. I got one more question for you. We've gone through 13 weeks of classes. And I know we got to have a response from this from somebody. How can you use this lesson to grow spiritually and help others come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Remember, we're training our replacements. So how can we use this lesson to help us grow and help others come into a relationship with Christ Jesus? Help others who don't know Jesus. What's the last part? We talk with them. People ask million-dollar questions all the time. Anybody else? Yes. By teaching them the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's it. It's not rocket science. We make it difficult ourselves because we think we need to know it all. So I can't quote book, chapter, verse. I can't teach. Yes, you can and Michael, if you don't mind, I'm going to use Michael as an example. Just one minute. Last Sunday, Michael and I was talking to a Michael sitting right over there. And I called Michael over and introduced him to him. Michael preached a sermon and didn't even know it. Just by talking to that gentleman. By telling him what we do here. By telling him about the discussion groups and the services and things like that. He was talking to that gentleman and helping him better understand. 
That's how simple it can be sometimes. We don't have to know it all, but it's enough, enough, of, n- enough of us collectively, we can make it work. Yes. Would you just say something? Obedience, comply, and comply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. It's all about him. That's correct. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about Christ. Well, thank you all for your comments. Thank you all for participating in this class during this 13 weeks. Uh, Next week, I will be, uh, and Bob, thank you again for letting me fill in today. (laughs) And uh, next week, I'm glad I can help you out. (laughs) But next week, I am going to bring a recap of a lesson, but it's not going to be this one. And the, the recap I'm going to bring is actually about saints, elders, deacons, and preachers. And there's a reason I want to bring that. Because I've said this before during that class, and I'll say it again. We have a lot of people here, and we don't have a sufficient number of elders that we can comfortably handle the the group that we have. So we need more elders. We need more deacons. And there are people who qualify up to the point of one thing, and it's that desire. And that's what we need to work on in some cases is the desire. So I want to talk about that next week in a recap, and um, we're going to go from there. So thank you all for joining us.